This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Frank Sinatra had more wives than grandchildren. How's that for starting off this episode of Go To Grandma? I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you're joining me for episode number seven, which is focused on the arts, the art of music, and the art of books. Musically, Frank Sinatra was arguably unparalleled. As a husband and a grandfather, I'm not so sure. But one thing is clear. His music has been around since my parents were young, and his music continues to be played for our grandkids as well. On today's show, we have crooner Matt Dusk joining us to talk about why the music of Frank still resonates today and why we should care about passing down classics to our kids while they educate us on their music as well. Ever pick up a kid's storybook and think, I could have written this? Well, chances are you couldn't. Writing a meaningful and fun children's book is a special art form. And on today's show, I'm hosting my first panel of experts. Helene Becker and Caroline Fernandez are both successful children's book writers. Helene has written more than 90 books. 90. Carolyn is the proud author of the Grammasaurus series and a well-known parenting blogger. They join me to talk about what makes a great kid's book and what you should have in your grandkid library. As well, our Take 5 with RBC series continues, this time with a chat on myths of retirement. Even if you're quite a few years from retirement, you've probably given some thought as to what it might actually be like. Is it all golfing or watching golf on TV? I don't think so. TV watching is something that perhaps a lot of us have been doing lately while we were focused on staying in our own homes. But who remembers running home after school and watching their favorite programs, which, hold on to your hats, kids, had to be watched at a certain time on a certain channel or else they were gone forever. Imagine, I had a steady lineup of Get Smart, The Partridge Family, The Brady Bunch, and The Beverly Hillbillies. And I used to sneak downstairs and watch Mission Impossible and McLeod when my parents had it on. Today, we are advised not to let kids watch screens of any kind until they are about 18 months to two years old. This is something that we adhere to in our house with our grandkids as well. While I am looking forward to watching some great educational TV and fun Disney movies with my grandsons, I kind of love that right now, my oldest one is so into books. They're his TV, said my daughter, and she's right. He's never watched TV. He does listen to music. I always have the radio set to Zoomer, of course. Although for a while, his favorite song was Stacy's Mom. Music and books, two of my favorite subjects and two things I hope to indulge in even more when I retire. You're in for a great show, so stay tuned. Up next, Matt Dusk. And in the words of Frank Sinatra, may you live to be 100 and may the last voice you hear be mine. His, not mine. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you're listening to Go To Grandma. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars. Multi-award winning platinum selling artist Matt Dusk has been enthralling audiences around the world for years, leaving in his wake a series of radio hits, acclaimed albums, and a loyal fan base that continues to grow with every passing year. He's had three number one radio hits. All About Me, Back in Town, and Good News. And he's an alumnus of the St. Michael's Choir School and studied under jazz piano legend Oscar Peterson at York University. Matt has been awarded three gold albums, Two Shots, Good News, and Jet Set Jazz, and three platinum albums, My Funny Valentine, 
just the two of us and old school Yule. Matt Dusk, how are you? What a beautiful day. Right? Every day right now, you're singing, you're back performing. You've got to be loving it. Great music never dies. That's what I say. Exactly. And I had the opportunity to see you perform live just a few weeks ago at the Docklands. So Frank Sinatra, I was joking that he had more wives than grandchildren. Yes. (laughs) Maybe he wasn't the greatest (laughs) husband. But what makes his music so enduring? And why do you think it's important to keep this music alive for us and our grandkids? I think like the Great American Songbook has a lot of ties to romanticism, to simpler times when a song was only 30 seconds and everybody could hum or whistle or sing along. So it's like one of the things I love about it is that there's a tradition jazz of the reinterpretation of that music over and over again. They kind of become like these all hymns. So Frank's the best music of the century of the Great American Songbook that's still relevant today. So for me, it's an easy in to go into an audience and to perform where I know that there are memories attached to those songs. Right. Yeah, you get the audience singing along. I know you did. with the. I the love co- it. Yeah. I love getting people. It's because this is the music that most of them grew up with. You know, most of my audience is older, over 40. Yes. <laughs> so, 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 you know, I'm over 40 now. So, yeah, it's great to have the communal side of the music side. So it's okay, do you think, for us grandparents to force music down to our grandkids? Does your daughter, I know you're not a granddad, does your daughter listen to the music that your parents maybe listen to? Well, she listens to YouTube and EDM, so I don't know about that. But She's I five, you, yeah. You know, as a kid growing up, there was always music um, in my house. My parents listened to a lot of classical music, mm-hmm. so I still adore that kind of music. But my grandparents would have, like, records on, like, Nat King Cole and Bing Crosby and the occasion of Frank Sinatra records. So every time I hear those records, especially at Christmas time, it brings me back to being five years old in the living room you know, having that turkey dinner on Christmas Eve. Yeah, I think that music becomes, you know, I really don't like the expression, the soundtrack of your life. I think it's very trite, but it's sort of, you're right, in certain occasions, I mean, I was the same, I grew up with a lot of classical music as well. And I think it does sort of define some of the moments you're having with your kids. And so if you're sitting down with your daughter and listening to music with her, what are you putting on mostly for her? For me, it's, I, I just put on my music all the time. It's just Matt Dusk all the yeah, time. Matt, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we listen to, like, again, like a lot of the Sinatra catalog or mm-hmm. the, depends on the time of day, right? If it's poolside weather, we're listening to more Latin music, you know, but if it's more at night over dinner, there's definitely a jazz flavor. We love bossa nova. Mm. So I know that like with parents and children, it's not so much about telling them what they have to listen to, but it's the lead by example. You know, I think a lot of us, especially with our parents, can remember what they listened to or what, you know, when, if you were ever with your mom or your dad in the car, there might have been a song that, you know, they would have sung, sung along. So I, I try to keep that same kind of the genre of music I like in the house. And I'm sure my daughter, Kai, may eventually be like, oh, there's the old people music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my kids say that, too. She looks too. at me as it being ancient, right? So. I have to tell you, my son, who's 19 now, wow. my youngest, the first concert he ever went to was one of yours, Matt. We met you backstage. I don't know if you remember. He was probably like about 10. And you were the yeah. only concert he wanted to go to. That's he got right. all of your albums, and I mean albums. And he listened, again, he's listening to that music. So I think it's a mistake for grandparents to think that, you know, we should we have to listen to what they're listening to or we always, no. you know, we need to, we need no. to sort of just have it playing, you know, and not force them. You're right. Kids will always do what kids want to do. It's like, you know, parents like, oh, you can't use YouTube. You can't use your screen. You can't it's like, okay, well then when they go out, they're going to do it. So it's like, <laughs> it's really important to kind of guide them and go mm-hmm. like, here's something you haven't heard of. Let's look at this. This is why this is bad, you know? And I love 
kids because they're so innocent and they're they're also so full of energy and positivity, whereas old folks are, uh, you know, can be a little more <laughs> cynical. Well, and I, you know, I play a lot of music for my grandson. He's almost two. And I play wow. a lot of kids music. I do, you know, like Wheels on the Bus. We got to go there. But yep. also I do play a lot of like Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, like all these songs, because you're right. They do have that singability and that fun and that energy to them that I think we don't get sometimes. It's a funny story. When my daughter was born, my wife obviously was quite the caregiver, obviously, because my daughter was breastfeeding. Mm. And she was always, my daughter was always attached to, to my wife. But I had one secret power, one secret power that when my daughter would start to cry, I would literally pick her up and I would sing songs like Fly Me to the Moon or Amazing. They Can't Take That Away From Me or The Way You Look Tonight at full on belting, like screaming almost <laughs> with her in my arms. And she would immediately fall asleep. Tell us about your upcoming tour, Matt. We are looking to go on tour sometime in April of next year. We had a one-off show that, that you came to see. But hopefully when the pandemic uh, is you know, over, we'll be able to go back and enjoy being together and celebrating the music we love. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to me today. My pleasure. Next time in person. Done. When Helene Becker isn't painting large-scale florals or building mini-scale miniatures, she's the well-known author of more than 90 books for children and young adults, including the international bestseller, Counting on Catherine, How Catherine Johnson Saved Apollo 13, and the number one national bestseller and enduring Canadian Christmas classic, A Porcupine in a Pine Tree. Recent titles include Pirate Queen, A Story of Zheng Yi Sao, Emily Noether, the most important mathematician you never heard of, and Alice Ann Gert, an ant and a grasshopper story. Her books have been recipients of Picture Book of the Year Award, the Cook Prize, the Bank Street Best of the Year. Her artwork will be on exhibit beginning October 1st at Keller Williams Portfolio's Young Street Gallery Space. And Carolyn Fernandez is an award-winning Canadian children's author and blogger. On the blog side of things, Caroline is the creator of ParentClub.ca a blog dedicated to making life easier for busy families with inspiration for family activities, family travel, food ideas, and more. On the author side, Caroline created the Boredom Busters series of activities for kids. The Adventures of Grandma Sora series, book two launches October 2021, and on deck is a picture book and a middle grade chapter book series. And while doing all of this, Caroline is the full-time mom to three kids. Welcome, Helene Becker and Carolyn Fernandez in studio. I know both of you personally, and I haven't seen your lovely faces for quite some time. So thank you so much for joining my first panel. Pleasure. Thank you for having us. It's very exciting. And you are both very celebrated children's book authors and writers, and you have kids of your own, and you know this market like crazy. And I sort of said in the opening, anyone can write a kid's book, can't they? Well, they can't, can they, Helene? And what are the elements that go into a really terrific, you know, a picture book, a fiction book for not? Well, it's true that anyone could write a kid's book, <laughs> but not everyone can write a good book kids book because just like being a doctor sure you can sew stitches but you know do you want an amateur sewing your stitches so professional writers learn lots of skills to make the books not only good to read the first time but over and over and over again different ages different stages so what do we put in it i've got a handy dandy list here Amazing. of elements the first is the story it's not just a cute story it's got to be multi-layered so that people can look at it over and over again and find different things in it. 
And it's also the relationship between the words and the art, because some of the story elements should be in the art, right? You're not just take, making a picture of what you're describing. You're adding to it. So it's those two things, the relationship between the art and the words. And I always think of a picture book in particular as being like an opera, because it includes costumes, sets, characters, props, and music. The language should have a sense of music to it. That's the second part is voice. Do the words just sit there on the page or do they sing? They have to sing. They have to make it get into your head. Or even a nonfiction. I write lots of nonfiction. I write a book about a dinosaur and it's factual, but it still has to be fun to read. The words need to tickle your tongue and convey all kinds of sensory impressions. Agree, Caroline? I totally agree. (laughs) Totally agree. And you're so right on that, Helene. As someone who's now reading to a two-year-old, I read the same book over as we did with our own kids over and over again. And we have to enjoy it, too. I mean, we have to take pleasure in reading that book with our kids, too. And they sense when we get pleasure out of reading it. They know when you skip a page, darn it. (laughs) They make you go back. So, Caroline, when when you started a series called the Grandma Soros series, what inspired that besides knowing me? I'm kidding. You know what? My publisher, who is a grandma, wanted a book that had a grandma, grandma, grandchild relationship and had dinosaurs in it because her grandchild happened to really love dinosaurs. And when I started thinking about the grandparent-grandchild relationship, I thought of it as like it's kind of magical. And today's grandparents aren't, well, like they can be unreliably fun. They can go out and do adventures and do off-the-cuff stuff. And so in the Grandmasaurus series, it's a grandparent uh, grandmother who goes um, on field trips with their grandchildren, and she magically sneezes into different dinosaurs. doesn't mean that grandparents are dinosaurs. It means that they have, yeah, (laughs) magical abilities. And then there's rule reversal where the kids are the ones who know how to behave on a field trip, and Grandmasaurus is acting like a dinosaur, like doing dinosaur habitats. And like, as Helene was saying, you need to write a page turner. And I think for any books that grandparents are looking for, you need to see, is it active fun? Is it going to be read aloud? Are they maybe going to learn something? And when we write books for children, we have to have all those things in mind. I love your phrase, unreliably fun. That's what I'm going to, that's what I'm aiming for, right? So Helene, besides obviously adding your 90 books and Carolyn's Grandma Soros series to our kids' libraries, should I be giving them books that I loved as a kid as well? Should we let them choose their own book? What's your thoughts on that? Well, Well, it's very tempting to give the books that you loved as a child. And I would say, you know, put them there in front of them and say, I loved this as a child. But books today are actually quite a lot more sophisticated than they were when we were young. Because like every other art, you know, things have progressed. So think about 50s television, you know, leave it to Beaver and compare that to, Mm -hmm. you know... um, any show that's any on right show, now. Any show. Any, any show. show. And and a lot of the books from, you know, the classics haven't evolved with today's modern day sensibility. So you do have to keep that in mind as well when you look at kids' books. Absolutely right. We missed all of the really nasty stuff in Curious George when we exactly. were kids. I was exactly thinking Curious George. And Dr. Zeus. Controversy. The people of Dr. Zeus have taken a lot of his books off the shelves because they don't reflect today's 
sensitivities. So my grandson loves Curious George, but I do point out the fact that Curious George was captured and smokes a cigar and drinks wine. So it's yeah. not especially, and then and then jumps <laughs> from the like police, grandma. breaks out of jail, <laughs> just like grandma. Um, but he also is in love with books like Baby Feminists. Yes. As we talk about new sensibility, he also loves a book, The Prince and the Knight. Yeah. Again, new sensibilities, new, you know, less heteronormative storytelling, which we really need to work into our, our grandkids' libraries. And today's books are a lot more dynamic oh, yeah. than they were like 25 50 years ago. And so the classics are good and have a place, but it doesn't hurt to go and look at today's bookshelves. And the key thing, if you want kids to read, is you have to let them choose what they want to read. I mean, do you want somebody to pre-read for you and Mm -hmm. say, no, no, this is not appropriate for you, Kathy? You know, it's really too whatever, or this is good for you. That's right. You know, you sometimes want to sit down with a, you know, frilly magazine and just fluff through it. So let them choose the books. They'll be vested in it. They'll tell you through what they choose, what their interests are. Yeah, absolutely. Just what you want to hear. Comic books. I mean, my daughter, who's 22, Bridget, she still reads comic books. How's that? But she just went through the Anne of Green Gables series. She loves, you know, Ready Player One, like any of those. So she has a series of books that she rereads. And my other son just reads pure nonfiction. You know what I mean? It's pure factual things about cars or wars or whatever. But great. They're reading, right? And and you have to remember that reading is a learned skill Mm -hmm. for like newborn up to adults. And if you are made to read books that you don't enjoy, you're not never going to love reading. So you need to be able to choose age appropriate, level appropriate, because there's a, there's like a whole segment of high-low books mm-hmm. for the 12 to 18-year-olds who don't have the reading levels, but it's a high-interest book for them. And, you know, you can't dumb down or, you know, smart up the reading level for a kid. You have to accept the fact that they learn, read at their own pace, and that's totally okay. Mm-hmm. Like, you just need to love the reading of it. So, Helene, I'll direct this one to you. How can we make books and reading time with our grandkids really special bonding moments? I know you do a lot of reading in front of groups of kids in classrooms and libraries, et cetera. So how do you find that sort of, how do you make it special and bond? You act things out, I mean, <laughs> and you have costumes. As I'm sitting here going, I act things out. First of all, the key thing is really not the book. It's the relationship between you and your grandchild. You're relating with them looking at this object in front of you. So you want to make it fun. You want to express yourself and you can express the characters and you can have fun with it. I mean, you're not going to read it like, I am going Mm -hmm. to the zoo. Let's turn the page. But if you're like, oh, look at this. Who's that on the page? Oh, look, it's a gorilla. Can you make a sound like a gorilla? And maybe we should punch our chests. Now we're having fun. And, And then you go through the book doesn't matter if you don't get to the end of the book. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if they start telling you their own story. It doesn't matter if they take the book from you and start reading it to you. It's that interactive time that actually is the foundation for bonding and for learning. This is how children have always learned from that interaction. So have fun. And we joke with Owen, he's 22 months, that we're his um, live audiobooks. Like he wants me or Aunt Bridget to just sit and read while he does other stuff. And if we stop reading, mm-hmm. you know, we get the look. He wants us, you know, so he's just enjoying the sound of the words on the page, as you say, and just the sound of sort of us speaking with him in a level that he appreciates. So we've recommendations that you guys for books for my two-year-old grandson. Any favorites that you might recommend? Well, this one is new, Allison Gert. It's a picture book, an ant and grasshopper story. Nice. And if you know the Aesop story about the ant that works hard and the grasshopper, oh, no, I'm not going to work and starves. And it's kind of like a cruel story. Well, this changes it up. So it's a story of celebrating art and love and sharing. And it's written by you. Look and, at that. Oh, oh look at that. 
that. And again, that one was called Alice and Gerd. What about yourself, Caroline? Obviously, the Gramosaurus books. Apparently. I love those. And um, you have a new one launching. And I have a new one coming out next month in October. But also, I think, you know, like magazine subscriptions mm. are really fun because it's like happy mail that kids can look forward to. And they do have like preschool up to the teen years, especially when you don't know for a teenager what to get for them. Those are, can be some great, great ideas. And I see that Helene has pulled out her very popular Porcupine series of books. We wish you a Merry Christmas. You have a new one, A Christmas Carol. Thank you so much, ladies, for being here and doing this. Quickly, where do we find you on social media? For Carolyn Fernandez, it's at Parent Club. Helene Becker at Twitter. Amazing. Thank you so much for being part of my first book panel. Thank you, ladies. Rick Lowe's is Vice President of Retirement Strategy at RBC. Rick leads RBC's ongoing efforts to provide seniors with the financial advice and services they need to enjoy the lifestyle they have earned. Every two years, Rick and his team work with national survey firm Ipsos to conduct the RBC Retirement Myths and Realities Poll, which surveys Canadians aged 50 plus who are nearing or in retirement. Rick joins us today to share some insights from this year's poll. Thank you for joining us today. I am actually very intrigued about this poll that you have run about retirement myths and realities. So before we look at any of the myths, what are some of the realities that seniors across the country shared with you this year? Well, it's a great question. And one of the things that we wanted to find out this go around was how the pandemic has happened to impact retirement plans of the Canadians that are 50 plus. And what we found is that the pandemic is causing a lot of them to rethink you know, what the retirement could look like, you know, when they will be able to retire and how much they, they would need to save to do so. Interesting, we also found that Canadians who haven't yet retired are really hitting the pause button on the retirement date. And also some may or believe that they're facing shortfalls in their retirement savings. That's interesting. Did you have any information about why they're hitting the pause button? It's not entirely always clear from the, the poll answers that, you know, what we heard anecdotally, you know, certainly is that in some cases, you know, people have been a little concerned about you know, what uh, may have happened in terms of their, their overall savings. In other cases, they've had an opportunity to rethink and readjust and, are, and they're experiencing a, a new way of working and working from home, which um, in some cases people are, are quite enjoying it as a change and making it more convenient for them. So I think there's a, quite a few underlying reasons. And in other cases, you know, certainly one of the things that we've heard is that people are, you know, increasingly through this process ha- having helped family members right. who may have been more significantly impacted you know, by the pandemic and or because of, you know, changes in home pricing and other things. And so they're they're leaning in a little bit more, um, which is causing them to delay some of their retirement plans. That's very true. In fact, I know quite a few friends who've had to help out their sort of grown children, right? If they've job losses and things like that, either moving them in or helping them to find a property that works for them to work from home as well. Exactly. And so some of the realities are they're occurring right now. What are the, some of the myths that you hear about surrounding retirement? What can you share about what you discovered there? Well, there's, a, there's a, probably a few things. Certainly, I think one of the things that people have often shared is that, you know, they feel like they've got a financial plan and, and they're sort of prepared. But one of the things we certainly found out was that upwards of 50% of people coming in approaching retirement don't yet have a financial plan. And so that's certainly an area that we want to encourage as many people as possible to really take that time and, and you know, put a plan in place because it really helps them think through what they will need from a lifestyle and how they can achieve that, you know, comfortably and in a fulfilling way. Similarly, you know, what we also heard, you know, anecdotally was that relating to the earlier point about people that had, you know, that are retiring later, 
we'd anecdotally heard that many Canadians had uh, were opting to retire early due to the pandemic. You know, it's kind of remaking them think through their goals and uh, and not enjoying that you know, the experience that they're having and causing them to stop work earlier. But what we found is that only about nine percent actually chose to move the retirement date up because of the pandemic. But upwards of 20% of those Canadians that haven't yet retired were actually planning to delay the retirement. So quite the reverse of some of the things that we'd, we've been hearing. So if I'm thinking about it in a few years, which I probably will be, what should I be thinking about right now? If I'm thinking about retiring soon, what should I be doing right now? I think probably the biggest thing is to really you know, take the time and, and meet with a, a planner to really help you you know, work through what you, you feel you, you want to achieve from a lifestyle perspective. And give some consideration in terms of you know what you will need to to save to help uh, achieve that lifestyle, and whether or not you have a a lot of savings or not as much savings. Um, what we find and we encourage people to do is come in and have a plan and get a plan set up is because it can help you find ways to how to stretch your money, how you can save on taxes, when it's the best you know from your financial position to start taking Canadian Pension Plan or OAS. It really isn't just about people that are nearing retirement, but also the opportunity for people living in retirement to think about how they can make their money last and stretch even further. And that would obviously bring us some sense of control and hopefully reduce some of our stress. Lots to think about. Thank you so much for joining me today, Rick. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Kathy. It's been a pleasure. The goal of retirement is to live off your assets, not on them. Another Frank said that. Financial writer Frank Eberhardt. Retirement is only a goal when you're not happy with the work you're doing. I said that. And one day I might change my mind. I loved the insights that RBC shared with us today. For now, I'm happy to be spending my non-working hours listening to music and reading great books with my two grandsons. While we might be reading literary classics such as I Tooted or the original Curious George, where not only does a wild animal get kidnapped from his jungle home, where he is then known to enjoy a cigar and a glass of wine with his friendless yellow-hatted master, it's still reading, and it still allows our kids to escape to a world full of imagination and wonder. A perennial favorite at our house was always Where the Wild Things Are, which was just as likely to describe my four children themselves. I'd like to thank Matt Dusk for being on the show and for keeping Frank Sinatra's music alive in such a vibrant and exciting way. Check out his tour dates. And Helene and Carolyn were the perfect guests to have on to chat about kids' books. I hope you're filling your shelves with some of their books right now. Next week, we are Movement and Mindfulness. We're going to chat with yoga instructor and co-founder of Mind Management, Annabelle Fitzsimmons, about how we can work more mindfulness into our grandparenting and into our grandkids. Kobo is going to move us through digital literacy, what it is and how we can make the most of it. And our Take 5 with RBC series continues with advice for Canadians moving to or from the U.S. Thanks for spending the time with us. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you've been listening to Go To Grandma. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter at Kathy Buckworth or email her, Kathy at KathyBuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.